you touch the throne, the figure seated in it begins to move. Its eyes glowing bright blue like the lightning flashes, and it stands up. As a reaction, Kilborg sees you're about to get hit as you're running away, and spectral wings will come out of his back and come in and interpose themselves. He levies a significant hit against Seifel. He is... The poison cloud is too much, and Seifel falls. You're okay, right? Simeon falls over, coughing, and stops coughing. Ooh. The voice belongs to a traveler by the name of Mazikoth, who claimed to be from a distant dark star, but that they had been imprisoned in this realm, but knows that the keeper of this realm fears the light, fears the sun, and that you can use it to imprison her. And as the voice ends, the lightning rod behind begins vibrating with energy. Sprocket, as you drop the wire on the head of the golem, you can see the circuit traveling across, but the golem seems not to respond. A placid-looking lake with some, like, tall, like, columns interspersed around it. Some of the columns seem to have, like, beacons, like fires lit on top of them. It's a fairly defensible area and seems fairly quiet. So, Inan, I saw you over there examining the waterfront. As you're staring into the water, you realize that the water has some sort of oracular or portent divination ability, and you start to see a scene. And the scene that you see is of weather beginning to form on the horizon that you believe will bring bad luck. What is the weather that is happening, and why is it that you believe that it is an unlucky sign? Probably a thunderstorm. And it's unlucky because of the additional lightning involved as we try to destroy their power collecting apparatus, making it unpredictable. Okay. And uh, Candy, you said that you also were investigating the boat and everything like that? I would have investigated the boat before starting my rest to make sure that we weren't going to have any surprises. Yep. The boat seems to have been there. It's been used recently, but there doesn't seem to be anybody in it. But again, as you get near the waterfront, you see the same thing that Anand did, that the lakefront seems to be some sort of mystical oracle of portents to come. So I need a d20 Lucky 13. Lucky 13. So the vision that you see is of some odd quirk of nature that your people or your family have has some sort of story attached to it, like a three-legged toad or a white stag or something like that. What is the vision and what is the story that's attached to it? So not necessarily his original family. But when he was traveling with the the Red Fangs, the mercenary company that he landed with when he was exiled from the Astral Sea, 
they were marching into battle situation one day and an albino leopard crept onto the battlefield and during the course of the battle Candy noted that anyone who went near where the leopard had traveled had some horrible fate that was unrelated to the battle happen to them whether they stepped on a spike or got something in their eye just cursed luck brutal does anybody else go to investigate the boat or the waterfront I have to spend my 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 time doing the cook feet and that which by the way for everybody in case you didn't realize is effectively me brewing tea <laughs> so would you have got water from the lake as to brew your tea I would have taken it from my canteens to start with. okay Sure, you don't want to look in the lake. No, I'm just <laughs> I'm quite confident I don't want to look in the big scribe um, all of water. <laughs> from further south beyond the beacon, you hear a voice. See, I mean, you recognize you recognize the tone as half-elven nobility. It has that sort of air to it. And some fifty feet away down the beach, a half-elf with long, kind of white hair extends his hand and. Hail, travelers! Can that be heard from the Iron Golem? Give me a wisdom save to see how can engrossed can I... in what you are in what you're working in. My passive perception's a twenty-one. So give me a wisdom save. Yes, sir. Sixteen. Yeah, you hear a voice that you're not familiar I with from down at the lakefront. Uh, was that out already? You looking for? So what are you doing up there? I'm what are you doing I'm with Sprocket? Sitting and leaning against the stone one of the boulders and just you're kind of just like not paying attention but I'm just scanning to make sure that nothing that Spock yep. just left alone regardless of the pseudo dragon sure. yep give, give me a wisdom save to see how deep in your thoughts you are save 17 you also hear a voice you are not familiar with down at the lakefront calling hail traveler by the way I picture Sprocket my feet was alert specifically to jack him up that is yeah even when he looks totally engrossed he's always paying attention i will send a I message like down to uh, kilvarix and say what's going on a stranger approaches now when I, you do that does everyone that you included get it or are you I, targeting I specifically kilvarix? at this moment but when i initially do the role I could choose only one of one of I can do three, but I can choose to communicate with only one of you at a time. Sprocket hops out of the alum, the iron golem and says, "Sounds like we better get down there just in case." And immediately starts jogging off. Alara is the going beach. to follow him since he just took off at a you took off at a quick pace. She's going to follow more slowly, mm -hmm. but she's going to she wants to stay hidden. She wants to be the unseen like, if they need it, I can spring from the shadow kind of deal. Yep. Fair enough. He begins walking down the beach towards you, and he gets near the beacon, and he looks up at it. <sighs> Curses. Again. Again what? <sighs> the beacons. 
the beacons, my friend. Is but a word with no context. He looks up at it. Points up at it and says, it's gone out again. I... Just curse the one who shapes this realm. Let me just say that. I'm imprisoned here. That doesn't sound like a great idea. Simeon comes around the, uh, the pillar. His weapons are drawn, but back-facing, so as not to cause offense, showing that he yep. comes open-handed and in peace as the traditional elves. And Wait, how are how, okay? So I'm not. How are your weapons unsheathed behind yes. your back, but you're they're open-handed? They're in my hands, and they're facing back, not so as I'm not in an attack posture. But your weapons are in your hands. Yes. Okay. To show him what weapons I have yep. in the traditional elven man. Yep, fair enough. He has both of his hands up in front of him, empty, and he his cloak is open and revealing no weapons on his belt, no weapon on his back. He, Friend, I come and I am unarmed. You speak in an older tongue. You may have been around others too much. This is a show of respect. I then sheath my weapons, bow deeply. And then in Elven, I'll ask him for, I'll ask him his name. My name is Prince Alagarthus. I am Simeon Peleus Wintermere of House Wintermere. Well met. Can you kindly provide us with more details? Why is it your duty to tend to these beacons? And why does them going out equate to such dismay because as I said I am regretfully imprisoned here I made a fool's bargain with the hag who runs this realm and my payment was one year in in her clutches and once my year was done They said that all I needed to do was light the eight beacons that light this lake. And I have been trying to keep them all lit for innumerable days, my friend. Innumerable days. I fear that I have signed on to a bargain that I will never be able to repay and I will never be able to return home. Who? is the master of this realm. In addition to the, this domain liege's name, did your bargain call for you to light them alone or do they simply all have to be lit? Alas, if I don't light them myself, the path home will not be illuminated for me. I appreciate where you are going, friend. I assume that you are lost here also? Less lost than looking for a purpose. If that purpose... I I was actually going to send a message whispering to 
Simeon, who hears in his head, best not to show all of our cards right up front. Simeon shrugs in agreement to the unheard message. Yes, Rocket jumps up vaguely out of breath and says, But what if you light it? And one of us simply tends it to keep it lit while you continue on. If I knew why they were going out, then that might be helpful. But alas, they just seem infernally created. Mr. Wintermere, if your quest takes you across the bow of the hag of Endolin Moongrave, then do her a favor. Do me a favor and take her to her final resting place because perhaps without her influence, I will finally be able to leave this realm. Is she situated in yon castle? As you say that, lightning crashes and a you see the large surge of energy from the remaining lightning rods shooting up towards the castle. Indeed, her she runs her accursed theater at the top of the mountain. Is there a back way in? There might be. Who else have you met here? You. Really big iron golem. And he looks confused for a second. The statue on the hill. Consider that a person. What do you mean you met the statue on the hill? Merely a construct that now lies in pieces. I would contend that about the time sword meets flesh, you've officially met. I would agree. Indeed. Indeed. Well, there very well may be a back way in. Her theater lies on the top of the mountain, but that mountain is mined by several clans of Briganooks. Perhaps an alliance with them. Briganooks? Brigan, Brigan, I'm sorry. Brigan what? Yeah. They don't look that much different than you, my friend. Hairier, smaller, uglier. Ah, dwarves. No, not quite that ugly. Have I ever heard of one of these? They're fae creatures, and so it's entirely possible that, especially what you've been studying at Candlekeep, they're not like a they're not like a secretive, like never heard of race before. Okay, want Arcana or history? History. Give me a history roll. Especially where you're a gnome. Yeah. <laughs> Natural one. I don't know. Cool. Natural. One. Fabulous. I'm pretty sure uh, those are you, a rare, strange I, breed. Need you to give me a D6, please, Glenn. Yes, sir. Or sprocket. One again. One. Cool. So, I need you to... Let's see. You are asking him about the Brinox. Rolling a history check. What would be something bad to come of this? I think that Sprocket does remember them. Mm. but misremembers and they were 
a terrifying tale in his mind of his childhood, and he's deathly afraid of them, and you should impose some kind of disadvantage I love to it. him when we, when we first encounter them. Yep, perfect. Absolutely perfect. Oh my god! Those things yep. wiped out an entire gnomish clan! I find that quite impossible. Impossible? Impossible. You don't even know how to speak. To be fair, sometimes neither can you. Hey, I'm never, never mind, scratch that. I'm in hiding. That's not very funny. (laughs) Never mind, I didn't say shit. (laughs) I know. You can't unsay it. I don't understand it. Brockett's hearing is good enough to have heard and responded. (laughs) Is there any comfort that I can offer you while you are here? I don't have much. I spend my days trying to get these beacons lit. Is there any comfort that I can offer you while you're here? Certainly if you fought the statue on the hill and it was as fearsome as some of your wounds suggest, perhaps there is some help I can offer. Some history as to where we are and what this place can do. The scope of what this place can do, this is the realm of the hag, of the hag Endelin Moongrave. She has shaped this realm from her own wickedness and her own manifestation of evil. There are a great many creatures that live within this realm that serve her bidding. What she can do is significant. What rules has she imposed? For the most part, she compels people who find themselves here or are stolen from where they belong, as myself, she compels them to come to her accursed theater and perform pantomimes and plays for her. But they're always disjunct and wrong. The Copper Towers, do they feed her or her ilk. They feed the power in the theater itself. Disrupting their feed would weaken her hold. There's a question about whether or not it is better to go against a hag who is angry and a hag who is happy to see you. It probably wouldn't impact her directly to take down the towers, but it would certainly impact the theater. And she'd know you were here if she doesn't already. Oops. (laughs) With that, I need, please, anybody who has a passive perception over 15? Yeah, Sprocket, I know you do, right? Anybody else? I do. Okay. So, Simeon and Sprocket and Prince Alagarthus, both you hear this infernal cawing coming over the lake, and Alagarthus, his head perks up, and he trains his eyes to the horizon and just mutters under his breath, 
Paratons. Take arms if you can. Are they anything like Briganooks? Far worse than Briganooks. Briganooks are not. Uh, that's. Oh crap. She knows you're here. These are her servants. Alara is going to make sure now that she is well hidden. Give me a stealth roll. 25. Okay. You would know that for sure there's plenty, like where you are right now, there's probably not an awful lot of space to, to hide. However, over by the beacon would be fine. I'm going to take. Shall we retreat to a better battle position? I like this one. Where do you want us to go? We don't got much time. To the top of the beacon, then? You'll have the high ground. Against, Against some sure that flies? Exactly. Don't they, don't they fly? Simeon's gonna take a knee on the other side of the boat and ready a shot with his light crossbow. And okay. basically, I'm gonna shoot as soon as they are within range, which is 80 feet. Okay, as soon as opportunity, once we knew they were inappropriate creatures, Sprocket yep. will attack as well. And just in the effort of time, I'm going to keep the initiative that we rolled last time rather than everybody re-roll. What's that? Kilvarks is going to try to keep close to Simeon because he knows he's been damaged so that if he goes down yep. again, he can pop him back yeah. up. I'm pretty well healed. There's a couple bruises, but nothing significant is... Yeah, but you're the only one that drops, so as far as Kilvaris is concerned, you drop all the time. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Seyfel uh, also moves up next to Simeon and looks at you and says, We fell together last battle. May we stand together this one. Okay. Simeon, you'll have the initiative. Unless they fly greater than 80 feet in a round, will we get the initial round on them? Since I haven't uh, ready to action. Yep, so you will, their fly speed is 60, and so they have appeared here at the, where they are at the end of the last round, basically. So the round begins, basically, they can, they're within range. So yeah. then I will fight, I will fire. Sorry, I misunderstood your question. So you're saying that the, basically your, the range on your weapon is like 80 to 120, is that? I actually so have you, a long shot at 320, but it was not firing until they were at 80. So it would have fired as soon as they were within 80. And then I got it, which would give me a round to reload, so I could fire another shot when they got in. Yep, oh, that's that makes sense to me. It's 120. Yep. Okay, yeah, that kill, makes sense to me. Yeah. Kill Mars is a fireball too. He has breathed into his hand and is waiting. Yep. He's got 120. Okay, I will give every, I, I'll give all of you one round before they can move. But basically, they'll be when they appear, they'll be in this area. I'll have them go basically and, on initiative round one this round, and then wherever they fit in I, the next round. Gotcha. Focus your and, fire on that super star destroyer. And, and Kilvarix is. I'm concentrating on the one in the middle. I'm gonna All fire right. at that one to help drop it. Love it, because it's. I got Me one. Yeah, yep. I'll wait. All right. I'm gonna fire so to the one. I guess the I'll go. It's gonna be a 15. We'll hit. And that's going to be six piercing. 
Okay, is that a magical weapon? It is not magical. Okay. Cool. Next is Echo Barks. Unless you have other other actions, Simeon. I do not. Okay. Kilvarks rolls a 19 to strike with his fireball. That will hit. And 12 fire damage. Okay. I like it. And you'll notice that Kilvarks' firebolt that he breathes into his hand seems to be a little more hotter, brighter, intense than it was in the, in the past. Excellent. Okay, next will be Alarai. You are How currently steep hidden. How is that beacon? How tall is it? So they're easy enough to climb because they have a staircase that runs up them, but they are quite tall. So they have a circular staircase that kind of goes up around them, but they're like 50 to 60 feet tall. All right, I'm going to pull out the short blade and ready a psionic blade in my on hand, and I'm going to start charging up that staircase because they're out of range for me. Okay, cool. So again, staircase kind of circles around it, so you can see if it's 30 feet, we'll say that you can move, and you'll be now like 10 feet over, or probably 5 feet, I 8 feet up. I was going to dash and all the good stuff. Might as well. Cool. So you'll be like 15 to 16 feet above. And then the rest of the beacon kind of towers like 10 feet above you. So you're like, you're like at the base of okay. a really narrow section without stairs sort of thing, so... Kind of like where the bait, and that's where you light the fire, and it goes up, it. The, up this tube. So, okay. Um, next is uh, Zir. I am going to. How far away are they out still? In like the eighty to hundred foot. Okay. It's because they're too far away for what I want to do. So I'm going to go up the stairs like Alari is, and find a good spot where I am above the people below me, so I can cast the spell I want to cast next round. When they're close. Awesome. Cool. So if you dash, this will put you about, again, 5, 15, 16 feet above the ground. Yep. Okay. Candy. Once they are within 60 feet, I am going to send out a psychic mind sliver at the middle one. Okay. They won't be at 60 feet until... They'll be after... We're going to say we're going to let them go this round at initiative round one. And you can hold your action until then. That's fine. Okay, I will hold my action until they move within range. Okay, cool. The prince goes next, and he will... You know what? He's cranky at these guys, so... Yeah, he will wheel back, and his hands begin to glow with a, a blue flame and he will shoot it at them. A bright streak basically flashes from his finger, and it is a 20-foot radius. Oh my. Uh, which should get all three of them. Okay, so they all get a dexterity save. And their dexterity is not very good. 
That's a failure. That's a failure. That's a failure. This could be very quick. Okay. Cool. All right. So he points at them. This blue streak shoots out, and a fireball basically blows up, enveloping them briefly. But you continue to hear their maniacal cawing and stuff. But seems like a palatable hit. Next is Rocket. Sprocket is going to attack not the one in the middle, but the one on the left. He had decided that since Mir had announced focusing in the middle that it would probably go down, but he may have been wrong. Then he casts his version of Firebolt, which is actually Electric Bolt. Yep. By taking his tuning fork and dragging it down the two copper rods on his right bracer. Yep. Generating electricity as he goes and then flinging it forward. And it is also significantly brighter than it once was and seems to catch this extra jolt from the wand itself as it leaves because it's an arcane firearm now. And let's see if we hit. 27. Nice, that will hit. So, 2d10. Oh, I got max damage for... Nice. No, I didn't get max damage, but I got 12. Yeah, it's 12. And then the arcane firearm damage, which I gotta go find. Hang on. And you said you were attacking the one on the left, right? Correct. I think it's your int mod. No, or is it an extra D8? It, it's a D8. There's a spot in D&D Beyond where I can just roll it, and that's what I was trying to find. Because it's not like D&D Beyond is that easy to use all the time. Inventory. I'm just going to roll the D8. <laughs> Plus five. So 17 total? 17. Cool. Uh, he is uh, definitely not liking that so much. Anon. Anon will reach into the weave, pulling out a bit of amber and uh, fur, start rubbing it together, and then fire a lighting bolt at uh, the right. Okay. And that's a DC 14 saving throw. Dex. What's the dex? Dex 14. Succeeds. So is it save or suck, or...? Uh, half damage. So half damage of 8d6. So half of 23. So 11. So 11, yep. Oof. He also did not care for that very much. They are all fairly significantly injured right now. Tiriana and Seifel both just gird themselves with their pike. Seifel is still, he is not at 100%. He is, he's feeling okay, but he's not at 100% for sure. And with that, the three paratons will go next. So my held action. Yes. Oh, that's right. Yep. They're now in range. So your held action. Yep. A DC 15 intelligence save. That's an 18. Which one did you target? The center one, but it okay. doesn't matter if it made an 18. Yep. It succeeds. Nope. He succeeds. Okay. So. Seven. So one, two, three, <coughs> five, six. 
Simeon, you are just unlucky today. So I rolled a d8 to go ahead and see which of you I'm going to attack. And counting down from the top, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven gets me to Simeon. So Simeon's going to get one of them. One, two, three, four. And Nan will get another one of them. And the other one... Can I reach Sprocket? Just barely. Okay, cool. So, given the fact that I said I had taken me to take aim, would I be getting partial cover for at least a plus two to my AC? Sure. I'm cool with that. Okay, the one, the right one, flies at you, Simeon, and he takes, what was it, 40 feet of his movement. So, basically, he's going, he has a flyby ability. So, he's going to fly by and attack. And I did fly at least 30 feet, so that's good. So, this is going to be a gore attack. Let's see. That will miss. That's a 7. And then his Talon attack is a 16. That will miss. Cool. Alright, Anon. That'll be a 20 on the Gore attack. Will that hit? Anon will uh, cast the shield as a reaction. Okay. Excellent. That will bring me up to 24 AC. Okay, cool. Both the Gore and the Talon attack miss you then. And then Sprocket, they will not get their... No, they'll still get their dive attack, but they won't be able to leave. So, Sprocket, 15 to hit. Does not hit. Okay. How about a 22? About that, shield won't even help me, so yeah, I guess it does. Okay. His dive attack gives him an extra 2d8, and it's 2d4 plus 3. That's going to be 21 points of damage on his talent attack. Take one, two, four is a seven and a three. <laughs> Ow! Uh, but he's, he's also right in front of you. He also can't leave. This guy, they're able to fly away without provoking attacks of opportunity, so they will fly this way. Okay, that is their turn. Simeon. I am going to drop the crossbow and draw my blades. Yep. And attack, move up to attack. I like it. And... Celestian? Did they not fly away? Two of them flew away. They didn't have all that much movement, so they flew away. And the one that was attacking Sprocket could not fly away. Celestia roll... With Celestia, that's a 13 on my first attack? That will, His armor class is 13, so he'll, he succeeds. And so that's 10 for slashing and... Cool. Five for radiant. All right. Describe your kill, sir. He will, sli- he will slice it right along its spine such that the blade hangs on its head and he flips it down. So it Oof. falls at his feet, one wing in the water, one in the sand. Oof. Brutal. Okay. My second attack... Infernalisa comes to play. Which one are you attacking? Actually, Celestia, because that's my main hand again. Which one of the Peritons? The middle. Okay. That's a 21 to hit. That'll hit. That's going to be a 6 to... A 6 slashing. And... 5 radiance. Oof. And again, describe your kill this time. This time, because I ran up on it, and I see its front. 
I will slash straight down from from wing to, to hind quarter across the middle, slicing him in half, and he falls into two pieces on 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 the sandy ground Oof. below. Brutal. Okay, and with my bonus attack, <laughs> I'm gonna strike at the one on the left, and this is gonna be with Infernalisa. Okay. You go three for three, man. That's going to be a 24 <laughs> to hit. A 24 will hit. That's going to be 11 slashing. Damn. Yeah. And three necrotic. Ugh. All right. You went three for three, my friend. Describe the final of the trilogy. After I did that slash, I'm going to spin back and with Infernalisa just lop the head off of the, the left baritone. And you will see the desiccation form of on the next rolling up towards its face, crippling it and shrinking it as, it as its head and rolling down its neck. And it just the body just flops. The head and eyes look surprised, and then it lands at Sprocket's feet. That's disgusting. Sprocket's clutching his side. He's all nicely done. Simeon, why must you always get hurt before you kick into gear? (laughs) I really wish I could figure that out myself, because if I could avoid that, things would be much smoother. So we'll just have to hire somebody to follow us around, kick Simeon in the ass, and not do anything else the rest of the day. Okay. Now, mind you, I'm going to do plenty of other things, but I'm not objecting to making additional coin. How much does this job pay? <laughs> Rocket, ah. you'll leave my hindquarters alone, thank you. <laughs> not going there. So not going there. It um, is true. We would not wish to concuss Simeon. You well, think that's where fr- he keeps his brain? That's what I was wondering too. <laughs> Fre- friends, I think perhaps we can make a bargain here. I have clearly you are warriors of some great fortitude perhaps you it's would okay. you can say it badass perhaps you would welcome another companion who may be able to negotiate with the braganux with you to try to get you into Lynn's cursed theater and round out this task you're on i'd be happy to be such a resource for you if he thinks he can get us past the braganux we should definitely take can it. i do Those an inside check to see if i trust it absolutely i will buy in on that nope six 16 rocket's convinced he had him at bragging up he's definitely hiding something alari but you're not sure what if i think that he hasn't noticed me yet since i never got to attack all i did was really run around his beacon Sure, yeah, yeah. I'm just, I'm going to stay back. I just want to keep an eye on this dude, and I'm going to tell all three of them my plan, that I'm just, I'm not sure if I trust this guy, and I'm going to hang back. A wise choice. 
totally out of nowhere, Kess hears this voice booming from off to her side. And as she moves towards where the voice came from, eventually settles upon a lake with several beacons around it and finds the bulk of the rest of her party or the folks that she has been traveling with. She sees Kilvarix and Sprocket and Simeon and Zir. And for everybody else here in the party, uh, there were others that had been with you when you were fighting the the Iron Golem, Candy and Anon and Alari. Candy decided that it was that there was more investigation which needed to be done at the throne, and Can and, and Anon and Alari stayed with him as protection because who knows what's happening here. And the rest of you have now journeyed off by yourself. And so just to further elaborate what happened here at the lake, so Simeon, you were saying that that there was some combat, you have fought some paratons, and you also have met the half-elf Alagarthus. Who remembers what about Alagarthus's story? He's got to go light all the beacons to get out. But He does have out. to light all the beacons. Yes, exactly. Basically, he struck a deal for a lost love and was given a test, and that if he could complete the test he could return home. And his test is to light. There are eight beacons floating around, or eight beacons positioned around this lake. And his quest is a simple one. It is to light the beacons. But that was actually what brought the Paratons to you, is that you notice that whenever he lights a beacon, Paratons arrive and fend him off or attack him, but more importantly, use their powers to put the, to extinguish the light of the beacon. And when you first arrived here, there were several here. They very quickly fled after you were able to go ahead and take out one of them, but they very quickly fled after taking any damage whatsoever, but have always extinguished their beacons. Much to Alagarthus's frustration, he continually feels that, uh, that perhaps this quest is, is unsolvable as he tells you all that, uh, that he will do his best to go ahead and draw the Paratons to the other side of the island so that you all can get a short rest and get some healing back after the difficult battle with the Iron Golem. He will do his best to go ahead and keep them to the other side of the lake, but that, uh, but that is the best that he can offer you at this point, is perhaps some peace and comfort as he, uh, as he takes off to his quest on his own. And it is while you are there taking your short rest and licking your wounds and everything like that, that Kess arrives. Kess! Where have you all been? Simeon runs up to her and gives her a, a warm and tight embrace. We Sprocket lands gone. around. Sprocket lands around the waist of that hug. It's great to see you. Kes stops being irritated and softens a little bit. I've been tramping around all over. I think, I think maybe the portal put me in the wrong place. What's been going on? I heard a lot of noise over here, so I tramped over toward the lake. What was all that noise? We heard the voices too. We have an idea of where we need to head, but we've done battle twice now since we've been here, and we're just resting before we move forward. You all okay? Mostly. Pretty much. Tess looks at Simeon a little skeptically. <laughs> I look largely none the worse for wear. I'm only down to hit, two, two hit points. Yeah. And also, Kiriana and Seifel, the two Aladrin knights that were uh, that were given to you as escorts from Zilvarin, are there. Tiriana seems to be tending to to some significant wounds on Seifel. He seems to have taken the brunt of a lot of the uh, the uh, the attack from the Paratons this time around, and so Tiriana is is tending to tending to his wounds. I nod at her. 
but I see she's on it. There's not much to be for me to do by way of interfering. I'm not surprised that you did not seem to join us right away, unfortunately, Cass. The, these transportation magics which we are using, as Zovarin said, they seem to be seems to be getting interrupted at points. I think that we should expect more of this before our quest is completed. Huh. I'm sorry I wasn't here to help. You are here now. So what's our plan? What are we trying to do? I've just been tramping around looking for you so far. Tyriana points towards to the north of where the lake is, and the realm that you are in is a rocky one, mountainous. There is a path that sort of winds through crags and peaks that lead to a strange-looking castle that is full of odd lights and even from this distance you can vaguely hear strange awkward sounding musics that come from come from inside not quite sure exactly what it is but she says we believe that is where the master or mistress of this domain resides and clearly we have an appointment with them I picture that scene as being framed by as the point and explain like that surge of lightning electricity rushing to the castle with a giant crackle and yeah exactly yeah totally it and every time the lightning flashes it echoes throughout the crag you have been through three different realms at this point right you've been through the realm of the death hag which kind of had this like very static nature but if you remember when you first when you found the tree that was planted at the end there you were able to see through the tree and see into the courtyard of the mayor's house in omshire right and then when you were in the swamp realm the scents were overpowering a variety of scents but also the scent of decay and of stench and everything like that and so now this realm is almost the sounds are almost alive in this realm it's as if the very sounds themselves make up the territory you can even see on some level that that the mountains themselves represent you hear loud sounds from high peaks and soft sounds from low peaks and everything like that and so this very much seems to be a realm of sound echoes and and disturbances and that is something also that Zilvarin had backed up when you met with him, that he said that the mages that he has been working with have, they know that there is magic from two parties being at work here, his own, and he suspects his opponents, Almonte, and that clearly there is some sort of a sensory sort of bridge being built. He does not know exactly what the end goal is, but that was something that he had pieced together also. So as you are all sitting around the shore of the lake, licking your wounds and everything, you all start to see strange, again, ethereal memories or portents in the waters of the lake. So we're going to go around and I'm going to need a d20 roll from all of you. Sprocket, you are first on my list here. So a d20 roll, would you please? That's so scary. D20 roll. 14. 14. So in the waters here you see some sort of ritual act that you're familiar with like throwing salt over your shoulder or something similar to like that that was used to bring good luck what was the act what is the ritual act, and why was it believed that it worked sprocket grew up in a good gnomish community they weren't gnomes were the only people in their village but rumbletop for the most part was gnomes and one of the 
old superstitious customs of gnomes was that what was a superstitious custom of gnomes <sighs> that they had to walk back and forth in front of the main door to a house at least twice to make sure the spirits of the home welcomed them in before they entered. Excellent. And it was important because if you didn't and they were old traditional gnomes that lived there, they would be horribly offended. Excellent. All right. Simeon? I rolled a 16. A 16. There we go. Fabulous. Let's see. You remember something that was always kept in the house that you grew up in because it was believed to be good luck. What was it and why was it lucky? In our house... There was always the feather of the chicken that laid the first egg of each year. And we kept that till the following year. And then we had the new chicken's egg. And the reason for the tradition was the continuing of life. Elves who lived so long. It was an elven tradition that the elven side of my heritage carried on. And when they merged with humans and we fell into becoming half-elves, we specifically maintain this tradition to show that even though there is a certain longevity to life and existence, the family name carries on for many years, each individual piece is, each individual year needs to be marked. So we mark the tradition by carrying on that feather each time, or each year. Excellent. All right, cast your d20 roll, please. Seven. Seven. You see some... Let's see. Oh, okay, here we go. So just like Sprocket, you see some sort of ritual act, like throwing salt over your shoulder or something similar that was used to ward off bad luck. Or that was used to bring bad luck. What was the act? And why was it believed that bad luck would ensue if it happened? Like walking I, under a ladder or being crossed by a black cat or something like that. I can barely even remember, but back before I escaped from the drow realms into the monastery where I grew up among the drow underground anytime there was a site the site of some overland creature right I don't know a mouse a rat that was thought to be a sign of bad luck so it took me a while to overcome the feeling that mice and rats were always bad news Right, and to feel more friendly to small creatures, seeing as in the overland I was constantly surrounded by them. Fascinating. Excellent. All right, Zir, a d20 roll, please. Oh, let's see. Ten. Ten. When you look through the water, you hear the sound of an animal or creature that you were raised to to believe that would bring good luck. What is it, and why was that animal believed to bring good luck? Where I grew up, along the banks of the lake, every time we would see a certain salmon, it was good luck, and that was because the salmon came and they brought food, more salmon with them, so they were a good food source, but there was always one particular salmon that came and it was gold like a nice deep burnished gold and that was a very good luck animal to see because that means meant that all the other regular salmon were coming and that we would have plenty of food soon excellent so the golden salmon we're having salmon for dinner tonight actually and oh, yeah. kilvarex kilvarex rolled a nine. Oh, nine. 
all of you are getting good lucky things, unfortunately, except for Cassier, but then here we go. So in the lake, you see a weather pattern or a weather phenomenon develop that you were raised to believe would bring good luck. What is it and why was this particular weather? What's the story behind the weather phenomenon being lucky? From way back in the old days, before the Dragon Ball joined Torval and we're on the other planet, there was very little rain. So... When they first got here, they learned to read the clouds, and a specific cloud thunderhead that, that uh, is on the far side of the tents, the possibility of rain, and that is very good luck for people that are not used to getting rain. Excellent. Okay. Fabulous. So all of you see these visions in the lake, and all of you feel, even Cass, even though your omen was ostensibly a bad luck one, you are the way that you overcame it when you came to the top land, you all feel this sense of, of fortune is with you on this quest. So very good. Seifel haltingly stands up. He is, he's not totally healed, but he is definitely uh, definitely better than he had been when we all camped out and says, let us continue. Let us, let us move along the path here so that uh, hopefully we can all return in one piece and figure out what next is going on. If there's no objection, the two uh, Ladrin will pick up their uh, will pick up their pole arms and begin walking down the path. I'll grab my gear and follow. I haven't even finished my tea. Ow! Ow! <laughs> Come on, Sprocket. Don't drink it too fast. You'll take more damage. <laughs> Fire damage from the tea, right? Yeah. All right. My teapot is packed up and put away. Excellent. How much care and and safety did you did you pay to packing it away? A great deal. This is my cooking utensils are carefully packaged. In, like I actually have a special cloth that like wrap it in each individual piece. They don't clank. Uh, to tamp down sound as well as as you are walking down the path, you come to a lost circle of stones. All the stones are of various different types of stone, and there is what looks like a a fire pit in the middle with a a game board of some variety in the middle of the circle. This doesn't look suspicious at all. (laughs) Really? I'm gonna walk up and see if the fire is fresh. Stone cold, like how long ago do I think somebody has been here? Sure. And uh, happy to use survival if that's what it Yeah, is. give me a survival check, please. That's a 12. Fabulous. So you, you've met the DC, which is good. You feel like the fire pit has been used within the last couple hours. Not It wasn't like extinguished immediately, but within the last couple of hours. And it's also the terrain where you are, it's always this kind of a perpetual, like gloomy, you guys haven't seen a sun, you guys haven't really seen anything like it's canvas of stars above you thing, gloomy. So either you're here at nighttime or, or it's always nighttime here, but it, it's that kind of area. So Alaskan winter. Yeah, exactly. Cassis. Although much cloudier, not, not uh, it's definitely, there's, there's like a chill rain, it's a gloomy place, lightning crashing and all that sort of thing. Kess has noticed you can learn a lot around here by listening, so Kess is going to give a really good listen to see if there's anything to be heard. It's very quiet, give, tunes in. Yeah, give me, give me an investigation check. That is 19. 19. Um... 
There are a great many sounds you can hear. If you really tune in, you can hear like uh, mining activity throughout kind of the mountains and everything, various types of things. But in this particular area, right where you are, doesn't seem to be particularly noisy or loud for any reason. Kilvarks would like to walk around the stones on the outside, discerning, seeing if there's a specific pattern, what kind of stones they are, if they're different stones, shapes, or whatever, sure. if there's any pattern or yeah, yeah. anything arcane or mystical about it. Yeah, sure. So they are all indeed different stones. And just trying to find... Let's see. It is... Let's see. One of them is... Oh, here we go. Yeah. They're all made from different kinds of stone. One is shale, chalk... Flint, granite, slate, basalt, obsidian, and marble. And those are the words that you know them by, and what you notice is that they're in alphabetical order around the circle. Rocket pulls out the prototype of his interplanar frequency harmonizing spectrometer and begins walking the perimeter in the opposite direction of Simeon, fiddling with dials and attempting to see what he can pick up eyeballing to judge when he thinks Simeon might be far enough away to not stop him from just going up and starting to investigate the the uh, Kilvarics actually is who he's not Simeon Kilvarics is who he's eyeballing yeah yeah trying to judge when he might be far enough away from, from Kilvarics to be able to reach the center to take readings there before he's able to stop him sure so what the spectrometer what sort of information is the spectrometer going to glean for you Pretty much just whether or not a interdimensional portal is regularly opened in this area. So the result that you get is there a check to make the to make the spectrometer work? Yeah, actually, it's a sleight of hand engineering tinker tools. Yeah, nineteen, which beats the. I don't yep. know. I think the original DC we put on yep. it was like fourteen. Cool. But, so the results that you get from the spectrometer are, they are on the no side of inconclusive. Okay. So it's like, not no, but not a lot. All right. Sprocket bangs it a couple of times, fiddles with the knobs a little bit more, and then puts it away. Yep. Okay. I was going to investigate the game board. Fabulous. See if I can determine whether someone abandoned a game quickly, or if there was some kind of configuration of the pieces that might be designed to have an effect. Excellent. Okay, before we move on to the game board, so because that's kind of the next thing, Zir, what are you doing? I was planning on looking at the game board and seeing what kind of game it was and where it was and if it was a winnable game or one of those games that no one ever wins like chess. Excellent. All right. Fair enough. The the Aladrin are also maneuvering their way around the circle, just investigating. They seem unamused by the game board. They the frivolity of a game board seems to be a little a little beneath them. They take their job very seriously. For the folks that are investigating the game board, I would like please give me a perception check. Total. Yep. Cool. All right. Excellent. So a 12 is actually enough to realize that you are watching a game of chess, probably a game of dragon chess, although not the pieces are strange. It's not traditional dragon chess pieces, but no kings on the board. So it's clearly a staged game. As you see in a far, in one far corner, like where, where Kess is standing, there is a single black queen, and that queen is flanked by two black knights. And then 
more towards the section of the board where Simeon is another queen and four pawns. Anybody here good at dragon chess? I wonder what would happen if we moved the pieces. It looks as though it's set up for some purpose other than chess. And Kess shivers a little bit as if she's reminding herself that mice are not bad luck. Does Simeon play chess? That's actually what I was look, looking up. I would imagine, because he's got the noble background, right? Actually, he's got a city watch investigator. I would imagine that given where Simeon grew up, that he's at least passingly familiar with the game of dragon chess, if he's not particularly good at it. Why don't you I, give me like a... I would like say a, there's no particular specific skill at it, but yeah, I would, yeah, I would definitely know of its existence and probably yep. played a time or two. Yep. It, yeah. And I would say, too, that, again, given your history, you understand by looking at the board that this is clearly not a real game and that the pieces have clearly been staged. Okay. In that case, can I investigate to see, like, how long the pieces have been in this position? I'm looking for signatures of dust, like, has dust settled? Like, how long have they been in this position? Does it look like they were in other positions? Can I see drag marks where they slid or they picked sure. up and placed? That type yep. of thing. Totally. Yeah, absolutely. Give me the investigation roll, please. Good question. And that's a 21. Cool. Excellent. So you would say that the board game has been set up for roughly the same amount of time as the fire was last used. So they've probably been sitting there for an hour or two and that the pieces were placed on the board. Because of how high you succeeded, I will give you one more kind of piece of information here. It's almost as if the board game was being used as like a notepad. You're seeing like a story kind of emerging here with the two sides in diametric opposites, kind of one force and another force, that sort of thing. You're almost wondering if they were using the game board as more of a, as a prop more than a game. So who do we know that we've been dealing with that are, oh, I know who are waiting, the two people who are waging a war that we're dealing with. I bet it's them. I bet they set this up to show where all their pieces are in this game. I'm going to study the pieces on the board and see if they look like anything or if they're just like, if they're like, they might look like one of us or similar to one of us or anything like that. Interesting. Describe to me how you are investigating that. I'm not going to touch them or move them because I'm afraid of that at this moment because it's wild. But I would have been down very closely to it without touching it. The put your hands behind you lock your hands behind your back and bend over at the waist so that you could like get really close without actually touching anything cool and which side are you investigating the the side closest to you which is more which are the white pieces or the side closest to cast which are the black pieces can i move so that i can bend down towards the middle of the board and look at both left and right to each color you can certainly do that if you succeed in a dexterity check so like sure. acrobatics Okay. Because that's your, to lean over the board like that is going to be yeah, a little awkward. Yeah, yeah. I don't want to fall. That would be painful. Let's see. That's a 17. Okay. Yeah. So you are able to position yourself over the board and lean in close. And what you notice is that other than being opposite colors, the two queens are identical pieces. The two knights are... I mean, they're handmade, so they are as identical as handmade can get, but that the two knights are identical, the two queens are identical, other than being different colors, and the four pawns that are surrounding the white queen are also identical. Okay. 
So nothing to make them look like one of them doesn't look like the other purse. Okay, I get it. So they're basic generic type pieces. They don't look like anybody in specific. So I'm like, if I looked bent over and looked over and saw my own face on the board, I'd probably freak out. But yep, sure. Um, yeah. Yep. So I'm explaining this to everybody else. So they're just generic type pieces, but I suspect that this is staged to look like the situation we're in right now, guys. Safe. We'll walk over. How do you mean the situation that we're in now? The the con. Not, I won't say conflict between our Zovarin and his friend there mm, and our friend Almonte. Almonte yes like one of them is the one is one of each of them is represented by the main characters on this board does that make any <laughs> sense and we are like the knights and pawns and whatever so Kovarks will look, walk up and look over and say, what color are the pawns that are surrounding the White Queen? Are they black? No, they're White Queens. The White uh, Queen, sorry, White, 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 white Pawn, White Queens. Sorry, other way around. White Queen, White Pawns, Black Queen, Two Black Knights. There we go. Sprocket has wandered up as well, and now that he is close enough to tell and see the configuration of the board, are the black pieces oriented towards the large foreboding castle we're headed towards? Ooh. So as you triangulate and you're like looking at the board, yes, they are. Looks to me like a threat. I think we're the pawns. Correct me if I'm wrong. There are two hags left in this game that we play. Yes. Although I'm actually not sure that's known yet, actually. Have yeah, no, that's that you do know that, yes. That there are basically four Hag sisters. You've you fought in the realm of two of them already, and this is the realm of the third. We are seeing a representation of where we are. Strategically. There are two queens, two capital pieces, and the rest are pawns, or in the case of the Hag sisters, knights. Sad to say, we are not regarded more highly. I would at least like to have been listed as a rook. But That's what I said, despite the lack of respect shown by the type of piece, that is irrelevant to the point. We are working against them. What they're not showing us in this board is how many pawns each of these hags has at their disposal. How many rooks these hags have at their disposal. Mm. It is also not showing us the bishops, so to speak. We are only seeing a partial representation of that which we face. To be specific, we're only seeing what somebody else set up for us to see. From that perspective, you got to look at their intent. Were they trying to mislead us? Were they trying to warn us? Who knows? Perhaps both. Perhaps they just... Uh, us? Why is there only four? There's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven of us. That's exactly, exactly what I was going to ask. I'm very small. I'm often overlooked. I think it's more of a look at our game. We're cool. We could do this game, and it doesn't matter who we actually affect. So, pawns. The next question is, does this have any immediate significance other than informing us of what's going on? Is there something we need to do with this information, or more directly, these pieces? If we're waiting at least ten minutes, I can tell if there's anything magical around here, including the pieces and the board. That might be worth our time. 
Kovar goes cool. off to begin the ritual, yeah. Yeah, he's going to start ritual casting detect magic. <laughs> Excellent. While Kilvarix is engaged in this ritual, um, Sprocket has a long, non-conductive, basically a good stick for poking. <laughs> and he slowly extends it out to tip over one queen. Ooh. Not your hats, people. My weapons are drawn. <laughs> I need a sleight of hand check, please. Yes, he did See specifically wait. Successfully only knock over one queen. Okay, and he did specifically wait until Kilvarx had started his ritual before I rolled in that one. All right, okay. Sprocket, I need you please to give me a four roll. Ooh, a d4 roll. Holy crap. Four. Four? Four. Excellent. But there are only three pieces on that side of the board. So, Sprocket, I need you to... Actually, you rolled in that one, so unfortunately I get to tell you what happened here. So, uh, as you're you're using your pokey stick, go ahead and try to push over the queen. A butterfly starts to flit by you. And as you very carefully, like, just reach the pokey stick out there, and the butterfly lands on your nose and causes you to sneeze. And as you sneeze, your pokey stick clears all the pieces off of the board and from the oh shit <laughs> from the stones around the circle emerge four short gray-skinned beings with wild black wiry hair. They look like almost mutated dwarves of some sort. And one jumps immediately to the the Eladrin who is caught by surprise and combat begins. So I need you all to roll initiative. Thank you for joining us. This has been Tabletop Journeys. We would love to hear your feedback on our show today. Join us at www.ttjourneys.com, where you can subscribe to the blog to leave comments and see all the content that we publish beyond the podcast. You can also stay in touch by subscribing to our Twitter, at TT Journeys, by joining our Facebook group, Tabletop Journeys, or by sending an email directly to podcast at ttjourneys.com. And remember, if you want early access to all of our episodes, a chance to drop dice with your favorite hosts, and maybe even appear in one of our actual plays, you can join our Patreon to help support the show at patreon.com forward slash ttjourneys. You're listening to us on Stitcher, iTunes, Podchaser, Spotify, or Audible. We would appreciate it if you would like and subscribe to the podcast on that platform. Full episodes come out every week on Saturdays, and every Tuesday features our actual play episodes. Thank you for listening and for being a part of our growing community. And in the words of another traveler along our path, we did you shade and sweet water.